scripture reading this morning is probably not one you've heard before. A lot of times they're familiar scripture readings, but this is probably not one you've heard before. He's, uh, God is, is proclaiming how he is different than other gods. And uh, it starts out, Hearken to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel. Now remnant in this sense, in the Old Testament, when you read the word remnant, it means though that part of God's people that, has not gone, that have not gone astray, that have not begun to worship other gods, who have been born by me from your birth, born meaning carried, carried from the womb, even to your old age I am he, and to the gray hairs I will carry you. This is good news for some of us who are getting those. I have made and I will bear, I will carry and will save. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scale and hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god. Then they fall down and worship. They lift it up on their shoulders, they carry it, they set it in its place and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If no one cries to it, I'm sorry, if one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from trouble. Remember this and consider, recall it to mind. One of the great differences that Yahweh, God, proclaims against idols is that there can be a difference in the world because he exists. He can answer prayer. He can respond to our needs. It's a very practical defense of his existence. Let me continue this morning in what I began last week. And for those of you who were not here last week, basically what I did for the church was, was to express a vision that I felt God was, was laying as the next step of spiritual growth for this church. I believe that God wants Mount Auburn to become a missions base. That is a, a base that benefits people outside its four walls. People who are not like us, people who cannot pay us back. People who we recognize as God's people even as we recognize each other as God's people. Last week I expressed that in hopes that there would be some positive response. There was positive response. As a matter of fact, that is the one sermon in which I've just kind of ventured forth and not gotten one inkling of negative response. Usually, somebody will come up after a sermon like that and say, well, all that's fine, but I think we ought to get our own house in order first, which basically says we ought not to do it at all because I've never seen a church that had its own house in order. I've never seen a person that had it all together. People who say, I'll, I'll help somebody else as soon as I got it all together. Folks, if you ever see anybody that's got it all together, tell me about them. I just want to go hang around them and learn from them, follow them around. Never seen it. Never seen it. Scriptures point up that Jesus did not get everybody healed in one town before he ventured to another town. That the Spirit had not worked in everybody's life before it began to spread beyond the place where it had started, thus a church. For the last six years we have built 
a strong spiritual foundation in this church. We do not yet have it all together, but it is time for us to move on. And you know that, many of you better than I. Let me therefore just speak to you a word this morning, a very practical word. Now, this is not going to be a heartstring sermon, so you can keep your Kleenex in your purse. There is a place for that, and I love to preach those, but this is a very practical sermon. I want to talk to you this morning about how mission is possible. And I want to take off on the old TV show, Mission Impossible, if that's okay. Because I think there's an outline in there that's useful to us. Is it okay to take your pattern from TV instead of scripture sometime? Actually, it matches scriptures very well or I wouldn't do it. Remember how the show always opened up with Peter Graves going out. David told me it was Peter Graves. I couldn't remember. I knew it was Jim Arness's brother, but I couldn't remember who the guy was driving someplace and he'd stop and he'd get out and he'd go in a place usually with a phone and he would know that there was something there for him that wasn't there for everybody so he would do something weird you know he'd like be driving down through the desert and there'd just be a phone booth sitting out by the side of the road and he'd get out of his car and walk in the phone booth reach under where the phone book is supposed to be and pull out pictures and he'd put a dime in the thing if he had a dime and picked it up and the, the tape would start playing, wouldn't it? And he'd say, good morning, Mr. whatever his name was. What was his name, Dave? What? Phelps, thank you. Was it Jim Phelps? No. It's Mr. Phelps, that's right. He was a very formal person. Didn't have a first name. Anyhow, good morning, Mr. Phelps, you know. Um, and, and then he'd go on explaining the mission. I would like to present to you this morning the possibility that the church can be a phone booth as well as whatever else you have it prioritized as. That's a terrible sentence, but it's a good message. Some people believe the church ought to be somewhat like a clinic or a hospital in that it ought to make those who come to it well and therefore they can be healthier in the world as they leave. I agree with that. Some people have an educational scenario of what the church ought to be, and that is that people who come into the church ought to learn something. And that's the primary function of the church, to teach people so that they can live more intelligently as they live. I agree with that. Some people have the church uh, pegged as primarily a uh, 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 old place of fellowship. You know, some place where you meet people. It's, a, it's, a, it's an organization where you you can, you can have a Christian relationship with someone rather than just taking your chances on the outside world. That's okay too. But could I introduce to you this morning that the church is also a phone booth along the side of the road in the desert and you are free to stop off and get a special assignment from that phone booth. And let me say to you that the church ought to be a place that speaks to you individually and that has a mission for you. And when you leave the church, you ought to be able to know what you are challenged to do, whether or not you do it. Just like Mission Impossible. There are some similarities that make mission very possible in the church. Let me just run down some of those for you. First of all, as a phone booth, as a place where, where it, it introduces to you, uh, you to a mission, let me say that that's a very practical and less a philosophical, more practical and less philosophical indulgence. 
Some people, when you talk about missions, they get all uptight and they just pour guilt on themselves. I've never seen the like, and I know you folks well enough to know some of you are like this. If I mention world hunger, you're going to go home and not have much of an appetite, aren't you? Because you can't stand thinking about that. If I mention that there are naked people in the world, you're going to try and cover up the eyes out alligator on your shirt when you walk out of here or the polo or whatever it is. I, by the way, I hear that's going out of style. Don't buy any more of those. Um, can I get sued for that? I hope not. Some of you, if I, if I mention that some people are homeless, you're going to go home and feel terrible, absolutely terrible, that you live in a home like you do. You know why? Because you people have been given the gift of compassion. And that's just the kind of people you are. But I want to say right up front that that is not a missions emotion. I also want to say that that is not a message from God for you because God, in, it says in Scripture, Romans 8, 1, in Christ Jesus there is no condemnation. Chronic continual guilt is not a productive emotion in a Christian. That's why Jesus came to take away our guilt. The only good thing about guilt is that it can produce repentance. And it needs to produce repentance. It needs not to be carried on and on and on and on. You never saw the guy get out of the car and walk up to the phone booth and start listening to the message and the voice come over the line saying, Good morning, Mr. Phelps. The Emperor Haile Selassie has been kidnapped by a band of terrorists and it's all your fault, you jerk. You should have been there. You never heard that. And you never will. You never saw him, even if the voice did not come from the other side, hear that voice saying the Emperor Haile Selassie has been kidnapped by a band of terrorists and he throws the phone down and starts beating his chest and saying, why couldn't it have been me? I'm free and he's not. Oh, this is terrible and I feel all so bad. You never saw that, and you never will. Missions is practically oriented. If he'd have spent the whole hour throwing himself around in the phone booth, Hylas Selassie never would have gotten rescued. God wants us to rescue folks. He doesn't want us to go on feeling guilty and be paralyzed with that. You know what happens with a lot of people? They feel so bad, they don't want to think about it anymore. So the missions don't get done because they're wrestling with their own sense of guilt and that's a false guilt that is not from God. Therefore, God wants to remove that from us. Could I just give you permission this morning to not feel guilty for the kind of people you are? You know why? Because God, that's, that's in God's plan too. If you look in scripture, if you have to philosophize about missions, I know some people do, if you have to philosophize about missions, just make it short and succinct. Say to yourself, why am I like this and they are like that? And then come to this conclusion, so that I can help them. It is a biblical pattern that some people are rich and some people are poor so that the rich can help the poor. Some people are strong and some people are weak so that the strong can help the weak. Some people have an abundance of friends and some people are lonely so the people with the abundance of friends can help out the people who are lonely. And some people are well and some people are sick so the well people can go to the sick. So on and so forth. That is very elementary philosophy, but that's all you need. You know in the scripture how wealthy Abraham was? Why? So that all the families on the earth could be blessed. 
People who weren't like him could be blessed through him. Do you know who went to, to, to rescue all of the Hebrews in bondage at, in Egypt? Somebody who'd been raised in a palace. And somebody who had a pretty good sheep business going before he got to the slave business. He stuttered a little bit, but he still had a lot on the ball. God built him up so that he would be equal to the task of helping. That's what God was interested in. Wasn't interested in the relative riches. He was interested in how he used it. That's what he was interested in. That was his plan. What about David? Came from a fairly wealthy family. He had a lot of sheep to watch over, you know. And he had a tremendous charisma. David didn't throw himself around the palace and say, why do some people follow me and not other people? God called on him to use that for a purpose, and he did. He united the kingdom. And what about our Savior, Christ Jesus? Doesn't it say in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 that though he was rich, listen to this, though he was rich, he emptied himself for our sakes. Even Christ Jesus had all of the riches of the kingdom. But the important thing was how he used them. The important thing is not how rich you are. Don't worry about that. The important thing is how you use it. That's God's plan. Don't go throw yourself around because you've got a good meal to eat. Say to yourself afterwards, that was great. I really enjoyed it. Now how can I share? How can I remember somebody else? That's God's plan. Very practical. Very practical. Secondly, after you concentrate on the particulars rather than the philosophy, let's, let's carry out this scenario. What did he do next? He got out this portfolio and he started looking at these people who were in need, didn't he? And, and, and the tape was going, now oh, that's Emperor Haile Selassie and he's been this from Ethiopia and, and these are the bad guys over here and so on and so forth and you're going to need to work through them. In other words, he got his assignment in pictures so that he would recognize where he needed to help. That is exactly what we've got to have as a church. Scripture says where there is no vision, the people perish. That is, we have to have a picture of what we're going to do. Uh, Job said to God, um, he said, you know, I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now I see you with the eye. And what he meant was, I know who you are because I've seen it with, with my spiritual eyes, you see? That's what we've got to be able to do with our mission field. Part of the, part of the downfall of the church is not that people don't want to help, it's that they, don't, they can't see who, the people who they're supposed to help. So this is what we can do to all get a vision of who we're supposed to help. First of all, we need to go to some of the people who already know who the people are who are in need. In other words, our denominational officials. I had a strange incident. Well, it wasn't strange, it was providential. It was God, it was a Godident. I just heard that, I just heard that term the other day, a Godident. Instead of an accident, it was a Godident. Um, the guy who is in the South Indiana uh, uh, office, uh, who is, who is, who is uh, responsible for missions, I have not talked to for a long time. And Lauren Maxwell, I don't know whether any of you know Lauren Maxwell or not, he's one of these straight up guys that he just, he's just kind of a, uh, he, well, he describes himself as an old farm boy. He says, I just, 
If I got something to say, I'll say it, and if I don't, I won't. And that's the way he talks. If he's got something to tell you, he will, and if he doesn't, he won't. And I haven't talked to him for a long time because we didn't have anything to say to each other. Well, he called up the church the other day. He's going to talk to Gary about some building stuff, and Gary wasn't there, so he said, you know, well, is J.C. there? And he said, yeah, well, let me talk to him. So he got on the phone. He says, how you doing? I said, okay. You doing okay? I said, yeah. Have you got something to tell me that's not going to make me feel very good? No. I just wanted to talk to you because we haven't talked in a while. And there was this long silence. I'm thinking, what's going on? Lauren has never done this. So I'm trying to make happy talk. You know, I'm not very good about it. I'm not a good small talk person. Some of you have probably noticed that in the church. I'm shaking your hands. Hi, how are you doing? I'm out because I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say to folks. But Lauren, you know, and so this long silence. I don't know what to say. He doesn't know what to say. I'm making happy talk. And right after this, I'm beginning to get the impression that I ought to say to him something about the vision that we're beginning to have as a church. So I said, Lauren, you know, there's been a tremendous burden on me lately for our church to be so concerned about people outside its own four walls. Is there anything you've got to say to that? Man, he just, this was great. He just opened up and started rolling out stuff, practical possibilities. He said there's a black church, United Methodist Church, downtown Indianapolis, that needs a new heating system. They can't afford to have a $25 an hour plumber come in and rip that out. Said maybe you could get a dozen people to go in and help them rip that out. That'd be something neat you could do. He said, there's a little, uh, if I get this, these facts straight, there's a little Laotian congregation over in uh, St. Louis or someplace, I don't know, and they, they've been borrowing other people's churches and, and maybe you could get enough people together and we could get some people from other churches, we could go build them a little chapel of their own. Wouldn't that be a neat thing? And he just stopped rolling and rolling and rolling. It's real practical stuff. Those are visions we can take care of. People think of mission in terms of having one or two big mission projects per year. That's not what we're thinking of. We are thinking of, of course, increased contributions to folks because the whole world lives on a money economy. But you know what I'm really interested in? I'm interested in projects where we can get our bodies out of this church and with other people that we can help. That's what I'm interested in. We can take care of 100 projects a year like that. Getting the needs visualized. Another way is to have somebody come in and tell you what it's like living in other parts of the world. When was the last time you talked with anybody who lived in another part of the world who could tell you what it was like? We haven't done that in a while. We need to do that. But the ultimate answer, and listen to this. I'm glad the thingy went off. Listen to this. The ultimate answer is to do missions research through you. If we're not talking about foreign countries and we're talking about stuff we can do in our own area, our own community, that's mission two, you know, then we need to depend upon you for that information. And if you don't hear anything else this morning, I want you to hear this. I want you to begin to think in terms of how the church could be of service to the people you know. Or if you've been in churches in the past that did, th did things really neat for missions, I want you to write those down and give those to us and let us have an offering of needs. So often we have an offering of resources of what we can do for people. I want you to give us an offering of needs of what we need to do for people. And when you come in in church on Sunday morning, lay it on the altar table, will you? And we'll collect it and then we'll strategize about it. 
we can do literally with hundreds of mission projects. And I'm talking practical stuff. Now, there's a couple guidelines here. First of all, you've got to write it down. You can't tell anybody because everybody forgets. Don't tell me because I don't remember a thing that goes on Sunday morning. Don't even, don't even bother because I'm just, yeah, I'm just kind of robotish on Sunday morning. Don't tell me. You've got to write it down. Second of all, make it positive. Please make it positive. Don't come up and say, I think it's terrible how we ignore old people. Ugh, <laughs> dumped on us. Well, yeah, I guess it is, but that's not a mission possibility. It is a better mission possibility to say, you know, I have a burden that we pay more attention to some folks in, in nursing homes. Is that possible? But it's even better, and it's an offering possibility if you can say, you know, I live three blocks from a nursing home, and I called them up the other day, and I just asked them if there was somebody in there, if there were people in those nursing homes that didn't get very many visits that might enjoy just somebody from a church dropping by every once in a while having a conversation. And these are their names. If you stick that on the altering ta altar table, I bet there are 25 to 50 people in this church that wouldn't mind giving one hour a week to go by and sit down with somebody and just talk about the old days. You know that? What about if we, now I know, well, I'll get into that later, but that's what I'm talking about as far as mission needs. Those are absolutely important. And the more details, the better. You don't have to work it all out yourself. We can strategize as a staff. We're glad to do that. But we need to know the needs from you folks because we don't know them right now. If we knew them, we'd be working on them. So if you can look around and look for families that need help, maybe there's somebody down the street from you. She's a widow. She's old. She's, it's, it's hard for her in the winter to get out. Tell us about it. We will try to respond in practical ways. Okay. And then after you get the needs, then you start filing for the personnel. And by the way, it is, remember to keep positive. Please keep positive. Keep the guilt out. Keep the guilt out and keep positive. We know there's evil in the world. Honest. We know that. It was, it was not, you never heard on Mission Impossible where the guy came on the phone and he said, good morning, Mr. Phelps. Let me tell you about a problem and let me tell you why there's a problem. It's because the prince of darkness is ruling in this world and there's evil and there's, and there's bad things happen to people. Now, share with me what you think about that, Mr. Phelps. Isn't it awful in this world? Is it awful, terrible? And, and let's just share our feelings about that. Well, that has a place, but not in missions. If Mr. Phelps had spent the whole hour discussing evil over the phone, Haile Selassie never would have gotten rescued. It is absolutely critical, not to philosophize, absolutely critical to stay positive. Everybody knows there's evil in the world. The bottom line for missions is, what do we do about it? Okay. Oh, there's, there's another story I heard one time about a guy who came up to the minister just ranting and raving about God. You know, just said, this world stinks. Everything's going wrong. God did a crummy job of putting this world together. And he finally said, you know, I could have built a better world myself. And the minister just looked at him and said, great. That's exactly what God is calling you to do. Go do it. That's us. When we tempted to complain about the world, it's because God has laid something on our hearts that he wants us to do. 
Okay, let's get on then. After you, after you look at the needs, then you, then you go get the team. Now, he always went back to his apartment, didn't he? Laid out the portfolio, came up with the same four people every time. I don't know. These guys must have been roving linebackers, able to do anything. But he you know, took out Greg Morris's picture and you know, all, the, all the rest of the, the other uh, three of the team of four, whatever it was. And that's what we need to do. We need to come back here and we need to have not only a general missions mentality, like I just mentioned, we need to think every day in terms of, okay, this, these are my blessings, what can I do for somebody else about it? Somebody I don't know, how can I help somebody else out? We also have to have um, specifics about mission calls. We need to have um, a good job of the or a good description of the job so we can have a good description of who's fit for it and somebody can actually volunteer for it. You know what I think? I, people come up to me all the time and they say, you know, I think people just don't care anymore. I think nobody even wants to help out anybody anymore. I don't think people would help out if the need was right in front of them and all that kind of stuff. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. I think people really want to help out. I don't know of a whole lot of hard-hearted people who can think of absolutely nobody but themselves. What I think it is, is the fact that the church has not said to people, made it clear to people how they can become involved. When we say we have a mission needs, immediately questions pop up. Questions like, how many hours is it gonna require? Am I gonna be working alone or am I gonna be working with somebody? How long does this thing last? You know, the church has a terrible reputation. As soon as you get an office, you're in there for life, cakes, until you die or shove it off on somebody else. Is this a one-month commitment? Is it a three-month commitment? It is a six-month? Until further notice, what is it? Make it plain to me. How many of you people will walk into anything that you don't know anything about? I, don't, I won't do that. I won't do that. I want to know what I'm getting into. And the church has done a horrible job Forgive us, and I mean that. The church has done a horrible job of making plain how people can help out and exactly what that will require. I bet 80% of the people in this congregation would do something every week for the church if they knew what it, what, what it required and knew when they had it accomplished. I, bet, I just bet that. I know you well enough. You're not hard-hearted people. You want to help out. Okay. So that's a real important thing. And then you find the people who could do the job. You know, when he was going through the thing, he was finding people supposedly who were suited to the job. That's why we have to have literally hundreds of mission projects in the next few years. And by the way, this is something that builds over years. We won't have them next month. It takes us years and years and years to build up a portfolio of possibilities. We're talking long-term commitment here. But that's why we have to have so many different jobs. There are literally a hundred people in this sanctuary who could not go into a nursing home and sit and talk with somebody for an hour. They're, they're just not made of that stuff. Especially, now don't let me stereotype here, please, but some of the men I know can't even talk to themselves for an hour, let alone go talk to somebody else. They wouldn't know what to say to their wives for an hour, let alone go to talk to them. They don't talk to their friends that much. I mean, they just go, eh, We got a lot of people who are not verbally oriented. Okay. But give them a hammer, and they can help. 
I'm just the opposite. Give me a hammer, hammer and everything's, everybody's in danger who's within three feet of me, especially me. If, if I have a hammer for a prolonged period of time, something on me is going to get hurt. And so I don't pick a hammer's up. I, don't, I just don't do it as a thing of self-protection. There are different gifts of different people. And we need to find those gifts. And that's why we need so many varied mission projects. I would love to have it so that every week when you come into this sanctuary, you can sit down and you can see what is available to volunteer that week. And you know that if you don't volunteer for something that week, there'll probably be something the next week or the next week or the next week that'll fit in and God is calling you to do. We recommend that people pray every week, of course. We recommend that people read the Bible consistently, right. We recommend at least, excuse me, at least one uh, um, period of Christian fellowship outside Sunday morning. Sure, that's self-evident. Can't we recommend at least one place where you plug into a mission project every week and do something of practical importance for somebody else? I think we can. I think this church can do that. And even if it's a little spot, it is so important. I heard a story one time about a professor that kept talking about walking through his garden. And he said, he kept saying stuff like, well, when I walk through my garden today, uh, I thought of this. Or when I was going through my garden, you know, it just became clear to me that this, you know. One time he, he uh, invited a lot of his students over to his house and they were real anxious to see his garden walked outside and here it was just a little eight by eight foot square plot they looked at him and they said this is the garden you walk through this is the garden where you get all your ideas it's tiny he looked at him he said yeah but it reaches all the way up to the sky mission projects are like that it might just be something little that you do for somebody but it reaches all the way up to the sky and that's what we're interested in and that is important. It's as important as any big mission project that we can come up with. Now, maybe as a church, we will come down on two or three priorities where we can make a significant difference for a significant issue. But my interest is that each one of you be able to find some practical way that they can help. It's a long way from here to there. There's got to be a lot of research it's a huge difference between saying, yeah, we want to do missions and actually outlining the details of a hundred mission projects. That is a lot of work and it might be a long time coming. But that's where we're headed and that's what we're intended to be. Because after he had gone through all of that, he actually plotted out the strategy. They sat together and they talked about how they might accomplish this. We need in this church to re- fuse and put together a missions committee that is practically oriented and that is absolutely fervent about getting something done. We don't need people on that committee to say, we can't do that, we can't do that. We don't need that. We need people who say, we might not be able to do everything completely, but we can do something and we can do this and we can do that and we can do this and if we only have three people for that, fine, then three people will do it. We need that kind of positive people. But beyond that, beyond the institutional kinds of questions, we need to have a sense, a spirit 
of mission mentality, a deep hunger in practical ways. And then we need to go do it. We need to do missions until people are independent. Not until they are dependent. That's a far different thing. The first red flag that goes up when we talk about missions is everybody saying, well, are we making people more dependent? I hope not. I know that there are people in this world who will take as long as you give and then will find somebody else to get from. I'm not interested in that. I also know and believe that there are thousands of people in this world who just need a little shove until they can start their own motor again and get going again. Who of you has not found a place in your life where you had just come up, up against a wall and all you needed at that time was for somebody to say, you can do it, how can I help? And give you a little shove, a little gift here, a little shove there, and then you are going again. There are thousands of people like that in this world. There really are, who want to be independent. They don't want to be dependent. They've got all kinds of things to offer, but they've run up against something very difficult. And the encouragement of one or two or three other people the interest of a church will help them get their motor started again and they will become independent. There's an interesting phrase in 2 Timothy. We've got to, Jesus talked about setting the, the captives at liberty and that is for the purpose of this quote, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. It's talking about people who then can become independent and become helpers themselves. There it is. No heartstrings, right? Didn't I do good? Didn't tell one story to make you cry, did I? That's a, probably the first and last Sunday in a long time that that'll happen. But I just wanted to tell you of the work it's going to involve, and I wanted to tell you that you're responsible. A staff cannot do this for you. You need to do it yourselves. You offer what there is to offer on this table. You pray, and in just a minute I want you to do that, I want to take this moment of silence, and you let God put in your mind who we can help and how we can help them. You write that down in the coming weeks and you place it on this table and then God will have one more church in mission. Now I realize before we have this moment of silence that some of you came this morning hurting very deeply personally. And I know that when you hurt personally, you can't think outside yourself. All you can concentrate on is that pain. So please, those of you who are hurting personally this morning, take these moments to share with God your personal hurts and your personal pleas. And if there's anything that we can do as pastors, come up and tell us and we want to help you out. There are also those of you who have come this morning, though, whose life is okay right now. I mean, there are some rough spots, but generally you are pain-free enough to be able to concentrate on others. For those of you like that, I want you to take these few moments. And I want you to let God put in your mind people you can help or this church can help. And then I want you to do something very practical about it. If God is saying you can help this person, I want you this week to go out and help that person in a way that you can. Just do something for them. It doesn't matter what. Just something. If that person or those people are some, are some people the church can help, 
write it down, okay? Or research it and bring it in next week. Lay it on the altar table. Let's open our minds and our hearts to the Spirit of God as He leads us in prayer.